So last week, uh, we began to look at the sixth issue uh, that Paul addresses out of ten major issues, that of eating food that is offered to idols. And as June kind of pointed out, and he did such a great job last week, that on the surface as we look at it, we think that the text really is irrelevant to us in the 21st century because nobody really wrestles with eating food sacrifice to idols. But then really as we take a closer look at how Paul really addresses the issue, the main point now becomes relevant to us because at the heart of the issue wasn't necessarily eat, uh, eating food offered to idols, but rather that of love towards one another. So as Paul addresses the issue, instead of arguing with them and picking a side saying, you're right, you're wrong, and then having people on his side and alienating other people on the other side, he kind of explains to them really what's going on in this issue. Regardless of your rights of eating food sacrificed to idols, what is more important is loving your brother and your sister. It's really not about eating food sacrificed to idols, but what is the loving thing to do? And so in our passage today, Paul is going to continue to unpack this idea as he illustrates this principle from his own lifestyle, as he uses his own lifestyle as an example to imitate. And really what he's going to do through his, uh, through his illustration, he's going to show reason that from his own lifestyle, there are times where we must give up our rights for the sake of the gospel, even our God-given rights. Now, I'm just going to warn you, like as we look at the text, it's really weird, and you're like, where's this guy going from? But kind of try to hang in with me as I'm trying to explain to you what he's really trying to convey as we pull out some of these principles and then take an application and apply it to our lives. So let's look at verse 1. It says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Now, now, again, right off the bat, we're looking at it and we're like, what is this guy trying to argue? Is he trying to argue the reason why he should get paid for what he's doing? And really, he's not. So what's going on here? Let's unpack that. So Paul first starts off with four rhetorical questions. And all these rhetorical questions expect a positive response. In other words, the answer to the rhetorical question is yes. And here's the point that Paul is making by these rhetorical questions. He's telling them that not only is he a free man, but he is also an apostle. And the evidence of him being an apostle is because he has seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the church of Corinth, they are evidence of the work of Jesus Christ in him through Paul. So what he's trying to say is that means Paul is a free man. And he is an apostle. In other words, he has authority. 
And what Paul is doing is, and you're going to say, I don't really see it in the text. It's not here in the text now, but later on. But what he is doing, what Paul is doing is, he is freely choosing to give up some of his rights as an apostle. So he's free. He is an apostle. He enjoys certain rights that is a God-given rights, and he is freely choosing up to give up those rights. Now, there might be, and, and, and we, look, we start in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me in this way. In other words, Paul knows because he freely chooses up to give some of his rights, there are some people who are going to question Paul and criticize Paul because according to the church in Corinth and really their culture, Paul's not acting the way a person in his position should be acting. In other words, when you see somebody very important, they should have fancy clothes, right? They should have an entourage. They should have people accompany them and bodyguards. And so for them, uh, when it comes to an apostle, a great teacher, what should he be doing? He should kind of have all of this, the, the, this, this entourage with him, this crowd that's following, this fancy clothes, and he should charge people an extraordinary amount of money just to listen to his teaching because what he has to offer is so valuable that it's worth every little penny. And Paul does not act like that. You see, when Paul planted the church in Corinth, he did not ask for financial support. He planted the church and he worked a second job. You're like, how do we know this? Well, look at verse 12. Skip over to verse 12. It says this. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we have even more? And here's the point. Nevertheless, we've made not use of this right. Instead, we've endured everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when Paul planted the church, a man who is free, a man who is an apostle, in other words, a man who has authority, had a God-given right to raise financial support among the, the church that he planted. But he chooses not to do it. Now, in this context, in the city of Corinth, this was very unusual. Because good teachers would charge a hefty fee for, for people to come and listen to their teaching. And so for the teachers that would enter into the city of Corinth, that's kind of how they made a living. Like, like you would make a living by offering your teachings, by, by renting out facilities, by selling tickets, and you would take some of that proceeds and you would live off of it. The rest of it you would spend on marketing campaigns, PowerPoint presentations, fancy clothes, mics, and all that kind of thing because the more money you have, the more hype you can create, and the more of a crowd that you can kind of gather around yourself. That's what the teachers did in Corinth. They were professional teachers. Yet Paul comes in and he reminds them, hey guys, I'm a free person. I have authority from the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet I freely choose to forego my right of financial support for the sake of the gospel. Now, here's the weird part. Now he's arguing 
why he has this God-given right for financial support. And that's why it's so weird. You're like, wait, time out here. Is he arguing because he wants money? Or what's the point he's making? Well, right now he is arguing for the right he has, the God-given right for financial support, because I'll show you why he's making the point. So, so what he does is he, he raises more rhetorical questions and, and showing them the right of receiving pay. And he uses secular examples. He, he says, doesn't a soldier who's in an army deserve to get paid? And the answer is yes. He says, doesn't a farmer deserve to eat some of the crop he has planted? And the answer is, yes. Doesn't a shepherd deserve to drink milk from the flock he tends? And the answer is, yes. In other words, the point that Paul is making is that he has every right to receive financial support from the churches that he has planted and served. And then he continues in verse 8. Because the right that Paul has is not his personal opinion. It's not a secular opinion, but he's also pointing out that this right that he has is a God-given right because it is a biblical right. Look at verse 8 here. He says this, I am saying this from a human perspective. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. So Paul here quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. And from the text, he draws some application. The first application he draws is, hey guys, the reason why God gave Israel this law, do you think God was concerned about their animals? No. He wasn't concerned about the animals. He was concerned about the people. I love what Martin Luther says in his commentary on this text of Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. It's so profound and yet so silly and simple. He says, Luther says this, this text is not written because of the oxen, since they do not know how to read. <laughs> how profound is this? How do we know it was not written for the oxen? Yeah, they can't read. So who was it written for? The people of God. And here's the point of this text. Here's the point of the law that, that, that God gave to the people. That if feeding the oxen is important for their work, how much more is it important to pay a laborer the wages that they are due? And that's the point that Paul is making. So not only is it a personal opinion, secular opinion, it's also a divine opinion. It is in the law of God. And he continues with this ultimate text as he draws out some implications. Look at verse 11. He says this, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we read material benefits from you? If others have the right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have made not use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
In other words, as Paul takes this Old Testament text and he draws out the implications, he says, since the field worker who plows and threshes physically has the right to benefit from the crop, so Paul, who has plowed and threshed spiritually, has the right to benefit from the church in Corinth. And further, if others have the right uh, for the Corinthians to pay them for their work, because again, they had multiple pastors and multiple teachers that have come in that they've all paid, shouldn't Paul have even more of a right because he started the church? And the answer is, yeah, he does have the right. And yet Paul says, even though I have this right, and can we even call it a god given right he has this right this god-given right to financial support this right is not just only supported by the world but this right is also supported biblically and yet paul chooses not to exercise this right to receive financial support why and here's the point that he's trying to make because he does not want to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so here's the first principle for us to learn. And I know there's a question here, but let, let me give you the first principle, what he's trying to teach. And, and basically, this is what Paul is may, arguing for. He says there are times where we give up some of our rights for the sake of the gospel. There are times where we give up some of our rights And I think from the text, we can even add some of our God-given rights for the sake of the gospel. So for Paul, it meant giving up his God-given right to receive financial support from the church. He did not want to receive it because he did not want to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the church of Corinth, remember, he's writing to the church of Corinth, and, and they're struggling with it. It's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. Some say yes, others say no. And the point that Paul is making is saying, hey, you might have that right to eat food that is sacrificed to idols. But remember, there might come a time where you have to give up that right. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For us, what does that look like? What are some rights, God-given rights, that we might have to give up for the sake of the gospel? Now, now here's a question that I'm sure you have, at least a question I had. How does receiving financial support hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because you're like, I don't see how it hinders. Like, Pastor, you receive financial support for preaching the gospel, so are you hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't believe that in all contexts, receiving financial support hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ because even in the Bible talks about those who are ministers of the gospel deserve pay. So not in every context, but I do believe for Paul, according to the context that he was in, the Cor- in, in Corinth, that it was hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? Well, here's how I think how. 
Um, if you remember when we first started studying the, the book of Corinthians, um, what were, were they divided over? They were divided over teachers. Some people followed Paul, some people followed Apollos, some people followed Cephas, some people followed Jesus. And if you remember, as we looked at it, really the cultural context of what's going on is you had these professional teachers, these orators who would come in, who, is just, who just loves money, and they're fame-seeking, and they value style over substance. And basically, they would do whatever they can to draw a crowd to themselves, because more people, more money. More money, more fame, more of a crowd. That was the city of Corinth. So it was very common every week a different teacher to come in to, to kind of fill a coliseum, people to pay tons of money just so they could listen to this new idea that he is presenting, this idea that has no substance. It's all about style. And, you know, all of us are kind of a little shallow. We kind of grade a teacher not on what he's teaching but on how he's presenting. It's true for us in the 21st century. It's true for them in the first century. And yet Paul comes in thinking to himself, out of all the noise and all the professional teachers coming in, I do not want the gospel of Jesus Christ to get lost in all the noise. So what does Paul do? Paul does something completely different. Something more distinct because he wanted to make sure that he presents the gospel in such a way that it is distinct, that they can differentiate between the gospel and all the rest of the noise. And it impacts his method of proclaiming the gospel. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, here's his method of proclaiming the gospel. He says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. In other words, Paul's method of proclaiming the gospel in the city of Corinth was completely opposite than that of all the, the famous teachers. Why? Because he knew he couldn't compete with them. He knew the gospel would get lost because it will be all about the hype and the methods and the style, nothing to do with the substance. So what does he do? He does the complete opposite. But not only does he do the complete opposite in his presentation and his teaching of the gospel, he also does the complete opposite in charging people, receiving financial support. To them, that was weird. Wait, time out here. You're not charging us to listen to you? You're not raising up offerings so we can support you in teaching this? No. He wanted to make sure that the gospel and its method of presentation 
And then the way it's growing with people was so distinct from the culture. So he did not want the gospel to be hindered. So that's why I'm saying in that context, because you had professional teachers who love money and who love fame, him raising financial support could have hindered the gospel because it would get lost, because they would have associated Paul just like any other teacher that would come into the city of Corinth. But by him choosing to forego that right, now he makes the gospel so distinct that it starts to stick and people start to listen. Paul continues to give illustrations from the Old Testament, and he continues of why he has the right to, to, um, to, to gain financial support and why he's relinquishing his right for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 13. He says this, don't you know that those who perform the temple service eat fruit from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? Again, he continues with the Bible. When people presented the offerings, the priests had a, were able to grab a portion from that offering. In the same way, he says, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So is it wrong for anybody to make money of preaching the gospel? No. And this is what he says in verse 15. But for my part, I've used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. In other words, Paul says, even though I have that right, I am not exercising that right. And the very first reason we already learned is he doesn't exercise the right because he does not want the gospel to be hindered. But now the second reason he gives us is that in verse 15, so that he will not be deprived of his boast. You're like, what do you mean not be deprived of your boast? Look at verse 16. It says this, For if I preach the gospel... I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and to not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So in other words, Paul's grounds for boasting is not preaching the gospel. Here's why. Because he was commissioned by God to preach the gospel. It is his duty. He didn't volunteer to do it. He was assigned by Jesus himself to do it. Because if he volunteered to do it, that would have been his reward for preaching the gospel. But he didn't volunteer to do it. And yet he says, he says, I was commissioned by God. So, so what is the ground for boasting or, or what is his reward? His grounds for boasting and, or his reward is preaching the gospel free of charge. Like, like what is he trying to say? What he's trying to say is by him not exercising his right to financial support as he preaches the gospel, he's demonstrating to us that the proclamation of the gospel is more than just an assignment. It's more than just a commission. It is his entire life. In other words, he's all in. How do you know he's all in? 
Because not only that he just does it, but he does it without raising support at certain times. Because the gospel is so precious and so important, he wants to make sure it does not get hindered, it does not get lost in all the noise. And Paul shows us how he's all in and proclaiming the gospel. Look at verse 19. It says this. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that, my sh- so that I may share in the blessing. It's really interesting if you look at the text, verse 1, Paul says, am I free? And in verse 19, he says, although I am free. So Paul is constantly reiterating, I am a free person. So how is he proclaiming the gospel? He's proclaiming the gospel as a free person who freely chooses to enslave himself to everyone. A slave cannot make themselves a slave. Why? Because they're already a slave. They're owned by somebody. But a free person, they can choose to make themselves a slave. Why? Because they are free to do so. And Paul is saying, I am a free person and I freely choose to make myself a bondservant, a slave to everyone. Why? So that he can win more people for Christ. And I think there's another principle if you're taking notes. Because again, we have to when we look at the text, it's so easy for us to kind of get lost in the weeds, really forgetting the issue he's writing about. What's the issue he's writing about? Should we eat food that is sacrificed to, to idols? In other words, Christian freedom. Are we at liberty to do some of these things? And I think a principle that Paul is teaching is this when it comes to Christian freedom, if you're taking notes. Christian freedom does not mean we're free to do whatever we want to do, but rather Christian freedom means we're free to give up some of our rights for the sake of the gospel. Like that's the thing with Christian freedom. It doesn't give you permission to do whatever you want to do, but it certainly has freed you to freely give up some of your rights for the sake of the gospel. Again, that's the the argument that Paul kind of is making. Like, can a person who is enslaved give up rights? No, why? Because they have no rights. Can a free person freely give up their rights? 
Yes, they can. Why? Because they have rights, because they are a free person. And that's how what we have to understand the principle with Christian freedom. We are free in Jesus Christ, and that does not give us permission to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, but rather it empowers us at times to freely give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. And Paul illustrates how he uses this Christian freedom not for the benefit of himself, but rather for the benefit of others. Look at how he uses his Christian freedom and he becomes a servant to all these many groups that he's ministering to. The first group he's ministering to those under the law. In other words, how does Paul accommodate to the Jews? Well, as a Christian, Paul is no longer under the Mosaic law. In other words, what, what that means is he no longer has to observe the temple rituals, the purifications, the regulations, the different feasts. Why not? Because Christ has fulfilled all these things. So he does not have to observe these things. Yet, in certain situations, Paul chooses to follow some of those aspects to put himself under these things. Why? so that he can evangelize to the Jews. So that means there's sometimes when it comes to ritual purification, he'll go through and he'll shave his head. Why? So that he can have a good standing with Jews and minister to them. And then the other group, those who are not under the law, in other words, those who are the Gentiles, Paul willingly lives among the Gentiles in such a way that for a Jewish man, it is culturally uncomfortable. So in other words, and I think we can all relate to this, anybody like being in uncomfortable social situations? No, I don't think anybody likes it. What does Paul constantly do? He puts himself in socially uncomfortable situations. Why? So he may win them with the gospel. And so he says, uh, he, says I, he adapts his life to foreign customs. In other words, he lives as if he's not under the law. That doesn't mean he's lawless, but rather he's now under the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Paul accommodates to the weak. How does he accommodate to the weak? He becomes weak. In other words, instead of holding their weakness over them in judgment, in compassion, he meets them where they are. Paul gives up his rights to become all things to all people so that the gospel can be clearly proclaimed. So let's talk about application. Real simple application if you're taking notes is this. The gospel is more important than our rights. That's the point he's making. Maybe we like to argue, yeah, what about God-given rights? Paul says, gospel is more important than our God-given rights. He willingly gave up a salary, getting paid for his gospel ministry, even though that was his God-given right. Why? So that the gospel would not be hindered. So that the gospel will remain distinct and he can advance the gospel among all kinds of people. 
so that he will receive the reward. And next week we'll talk more about the, the, the unfading crown of glory in verses 24 to 27. But, but, but here's the thing that Paul understood, and here's my hope that we would understand, that we will find the gospel more precious than our rights. We will find the gospel more lasting, more satisfying, and more rewarding than our rights. How? Paul was consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was so consumed by it that he wanted all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, to hear the gospel. What is the gospel? And why was Paul so consumed by it? Um, we're going to read this text and then, then, then we'll done. Look at, look at 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 16. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to ministry. So why is he giving thanks to Jesus? Because Jesus somehow has appointed him to ministry. And yet in the back of Paul's mind, knowing he's appointed to ministry, this is what he's going on, verse 13. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. So before Jesus, who was he? A blasphemer a persecutor, an arrogant man. In other words, he spoke against God. He hated God's people. He made sure they're beaten up, killed, and thrown in jail. And he was arrogant because he thought he was God's gift to humanity. And then he says, but I receive mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. Like, like he's not making an excuse for himself, saying, well, I don't know any better. No, he calls himself ignorant too. And yet the Lord showed him mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this saying is trustworthy and deserves a full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. You know how Paul viewed himself? As the worst of sinners. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant and ignorant person until the mercy and grace overflowed in his life and the love of Jesus Christ. And he recognizes he is the worst of sinners. Verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
What, a, what an awesome summary of the gospel. Here am I, Paul, or you can even fill in your own name, the worst of sinners, blasphemer, persecutor, arrogant, and ignorant, whom Jesus Christ to come, came and to save by dying on the cross in his place and in our place. The mercy and the grace we have received so that it can demonstrate Christ's extraordinary patience in our lives. Praise the Lord that he is patient with us and not give us what we deserve. This is what consumed Paul's life. This is why when he looked at the gospel, the extraordinary eternal, rewarding, lasting, satisfying gospel compared to his rights may or may not taken, be taken away does not really fully satisfy. You cannot compare the two. So here's a question for you. Rather than me poking and our culture about our rights that we love so much, I'm just going to ask you a question and trust the Holy Spirit to convict you. But I think it's a helpful question. Do you find the gospel more precious, more lasting, more satisfying, rewarding than any of your rights you have, even if they're God-given rights? Let me pray for us and us as we meditate on that question. Let me ask the question one more time and we're just going to give time for meditation and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. Do you find the gospel more precious, more lasting, more eternal, more rewarding than any of your rights you have even if they are God-given rights? What are some of the rights that you're clinging to that you're refusing to let go? Rights that you feel like you're entitled to? Rights that could even be good rights. They're from God rights. But they're becoming more important than the gospel. Holy Spirit, can you convict us? Can you help us to see the gospel is more precious than any rights we have here on this earth? Can you help us to freely choose to exercise and give up our rights for the sake of the gospel? And whatever that looks like in our life and in our situation. As we get to sit at the table again, we're reminded of the preciousness of the gospel. We're reminded of how Jesus gave his body for us, shed his blood for us, died in our place. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. We're simply receiving what he has freely given to us by faith. 
And the purpose of communion is reminders because we're, we, we daily forget the truths of the gospel. We daily forget how precious the gospel is, the price that it cost Jesus to buy us and to redeem us and to reconcile us. And so when the people of God comes and gathers and we sing gospel truths and we proclaim gospel truths, now we find our part in our service. When we see these gospel truths, we can taste it and we can see it and we can feel it and we're reminded what a precious gift we have in Jesus Christ. So let us go ahead and distribute these elements and let's meditate on the precious gifts we have in Jesus Christ.
they have already received the elements. What a precious gift we have that Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, holds everything together, gave his body to you. Eat it in remembrance of him. He gave his precious blood for you, died for your sins. Drink it in remembrance of him. Lord, thank you for the precious gift we have in Jesus Christ. That you lived the life we could not live and you died a death we were all supposed to die. How you displayed your great patience, your love and mercy in our lives. You did not give what we deserve. We thank you, Lord. Help us to realize what we have in you. Help us to cherish it, help us to marvel at it, and help us to never forget. And help us to see how precious it is compared to the rights we have here on this earth. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship our Lord and Savior.